Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. At Hop University, we cut the bullshit out of human and organizational performance training. We were born out of necessity. We hear it all the time. Human and organizational performance courses are expensive and hard to find. Safety classes put me to sleep. Help. So we did. We offer on-demand, high-quality online courses in human and organizational performance, safety, and leadership, all led by seasoned safety and hot practitioners. No need to schedule time for that conference, no need to track down the latest guru, and no stuffy classroom required. Join us today at hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P university.org. How are you doing today? Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of The Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we get too deep into this episode, do me a favor, head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all of that social media crap. You know how to find me. It's The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter, because it's weird and different. It's The Hop Nerd one. You know how to get a hold of me. All that stuff down, uh, all that stuff is down below. Those email addresses, phone numbers, all that kind of stuff. You can find me if you want to find me. And I'm getting all of that crap out of the way early because we have an awesome guest on today. We have the one and the only Clive Lloyd. And I'm sure you have heard that name before. He has some amazing work out there. So here we go. Here's Sam and Clive talking about... All things safety better. How about that? Just making safety better. Here we go. Well, I am joined today by Mr. Clive Lloyd. Uh, do you care to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Hello, Sam. Hello, Hop Nerds. Um, so, look, my name is, as Sam said, Clive Lloyd. Um, I'm a psychologist and I'm of the firm belief that um, psychology can play and, and sort of does play a leading role um, in dragging safety um, into the 21st century. Um, and so that's what I do. That's my passion is actually applying much of the safety science, the psychological science to to organisations who are looking to, to do things a bit differently. Right. That's awesome. a very that's, short intro, Sam. No, that's, that, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect uh, because I think it's, it's so interesting to see that we're just now starting to wake up to kind of exactly what you just said. Right, we're we're just now starting to wake up to this stuff. Um, I'll I'll jump right in here because I'll be honest with you. I, I read I read a couple things of yours that, that I kind of loved. So I'll just I, I'm, a, I'm a little biased. I'll just say that right now because I, I read them. I totally love. <laughs> oh, I don't mind stuff. that sort of bias, Sam. <laughs> but I, and I don't I don't want to uh, I don't want to start you down the rabbit hole too too mm-hmm. wild and crazy. I don't want um, to peek too early here. But uh, let's let's just say general review of behavior based safety. Right. <laughs> All right, that's a great place to start, Sam. Um, all right, so I mentioned, I mean, you know, my kind of mission here is to drag um, safety um, into the 21st search, uh, century. So, look, my background, as I said, I'm a psychologist. I went through uni. Um, I started at least in the, in the 90s. And even then, in the 90s, uh, behaviourism, where behaviour-based safety comes from, was dead. <laughs> it was dead then, and it had been dead for quite a while. And it's like um, my background is clinical and, and counselling psychology rather than organisational psychology. But um, back then, you know, 
it's it's progressed. Psychology has progressed in those clinical areas. Long dead is behaviorism. We progress to things like um, social learning theory, to cognitive psychology, that is looking at thoughts, positive psychology, um, right up to sort of uh, acceptance and commitment therapy and so forth. So just imagine this for me, Sam, and you started me on this, don't forget. Um, let's say I was back in my clinical days rather than safety and organised, back in my clinical days, if I was still using behaviourism, right, this is what it would look like. Client comes in and uh, he lets me know that, uh, you know, he's suffering from depression, right? So I bring out my behaviourism. I said, right, well, that's easy, all right? So from here on in, every time you have a negative thought, you're going to have some sort of negative consequence. How about electric shocks? Let's go with electric shocks. So anyway, I hook him up. He identifies an, you know, a negative foot. I buzz him, zap, and you think, shit, that hurts, man. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he comes up with a couple of other negative thoughts. He gets a couple more zaps. Now, after a while, what's he going to do? He's going to lie to me, isn't he? Even yeah, if he's having absolutely. negative thoughts, he's going to yeah. pretend he's happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah. So the very thing we're sort of trying to get to, he just shuts that whole thing down. Um, he's also very unlikely to come back to the next therapy session. Because um, nobody can stop negative thoughts. No. Nobody can stop them. We're going to have them. Now, if you're punished just because you have something that everybody has from time to time, you just shut it down and pretend. doesn't mean they're not there. Now, think about that as behaviourism. It's still rampant in the safety industry. Yeah. Um, behaviourism says, right, somebody's violated, nice, nice word, broken a rule. We will punish them. Now, it's not like, you know, they're still going to make errors. They're still going to make mistakes. But what happens now is I don't report that. My team don't report that. Now, this is generations. We need generational change here, not just one. We need, we've got to skip a couple of generations. Nobody in the clinical and counselling world does that anymore because we've got better ways. I'm not saying, please understand, behaviourism has done no good. I think it has at least helped companies to put attention on safety and so forth. But we cannot progress safety if we're just relying on archaic modalities like behaviorism. Yeah, and it's, it seems to me that so much of what organizations have done is just trying to take that because it seems like a very clear and easy answer to what sure. tells them. And it's, it's been packaged very well by a slew of consultants. Uh, and it's, it's, it sounds nice and easy and clean yeah. and simple. And we can take that out and we can even couple some, some observation cards with it, some bubble sheets. So then we can even, we can even have data with it and track it and trend it, which is now you're talking, you're talking bread and butter of organizations. Now, when we start talking about tracking and trending and all this, you're right. And it's so, it's so easy because then we can just have a stick in one hand and a carrot in the other, and we can just eventually fix everyone. And isn't that right? I mean, if, honestly, if human motivation was really that simple, you're right, all a manager would need is a stick and a bunch of carrots. Right. And we can uh, all be doing something a lot more fun than this. Right? We exactly could be off right. on the beach somewhere. <laughs> now, one of my challenges um, with the new view, if you like, and by the mm-hmm. way, I, I like hop because it doesn't have the word safety in it. Right. Right. Uh, one of my missions here is to get rid of the word safety here because the safest organisations don't talk so much about safety. They just right. focus on doing work well and reliably mm-hmm. and so forth. I'll come back to that. Uh, you're right. Um, the behaviourism, it's great branding, isn't it? Because it is what it says it is. We focus on people's behaviours to make them safer. Now, the new view um, doesn't have that brevity, doesn't have that clarity. Um, think about it. We've got safety differently, safety two, hop, high reliability, resilience engineering, human factors. That's a lot harder to get your head around. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the new view talks about decluttering. Yeah. Uh, maybe we need to. <laughs> maybe we need to start there. Huh? Um, so it's all I'm saying is all of that stuff is good. I'm a huge advocate of the new view, but it's a lot harder for your average safety manager to get their heads around what the hell is all this stuff about. Huh? Yeah, and I, I really, I really love your point on all the different different titles, all, all the different branding that we have around this. Um, even in, here's a here's a little personal story. Even in in my kind of nine to five day job, uh, as they started down this path, they're like, okay, what do we call this? Because we're calling it like twelve yeah. different things, yeah. you know. Because you have because uh, we were calling it twelve different things. Of course, everyone else is going to call it twelve yeah. different things. And I, and uh, there's obviously some difference between all those different yeah. things. Yeah, of course, but there's a lot uh, but, of overlap too. You know exactly, and and I think what's so interesting where, where I've even shifted, and I kind of 
I kind of pigeonholed myself into this, into the hop nerd, I guess. Uh, but, but so much of, of what I've been talking about with folks when we, when we had this, this conversation has come up quite a few times actually. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just trying to do things better. Right. And for me, for me, it's this betterment piece. It's, it's no matter what it is, it's just trying to do things a little bit better, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Again, the the branding is really clear with the behaviorism, which is why it's so Mm -hmm. popular. It's simple. It's easy. And to be fair to the the BBS zealots out there, um, before you can take that away from them, you've got to offer them something else, something tangible. And unless we do assist them to um, really clarify what this is, which does require some branding, if you like, um, how you do it, what it actually looks like, uh, even though they, they may intuitively sense that this is a great way forward, they get that. But if it's too bloody hard, mate, they just won't. Why would you drop the easy stuff to do the hard stuff? Right, exactly, exactly. And I, I really love the point that you were driving towards uh, in and around folks just not feeling uh, or not being able to tell you things, because that's a conversation that I have quite a bit. Uh, it seems, especially with leaders uh, in, in organizations, they get fearful when you start asking them to lay the stick down. Yeah. It, it feels like, I, I would assume it feels like they're losing some element of control uh, yeah. over people. But I've seen that manifest so often in organizations through golden rules or magic rules or what, whatever we want to call them and zero tolerance this and, and zero that. Uh, and we end up in this situation to where we just receive zero information, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, it seems um, like the harder we push that, whether it's the stick or the carrot, right, whether it's the, 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 the pain or the payout, yeah. right? it seems like we just drive the wrong behaviors anyways. That's right. And I, I mean, the new view does look towards a more humanistic trajectory, which we need. Currently, it's mm-hmm. still very parent-child, you know, hence the stick uh, and so forth. And where there is fear, because in a parent-child relationship, like we're describing, there is always an element of fear. If there's high fear, there's low trust mm-hmm. and low psychological safety. And, and where you have that, people simply won't speak up. Right. So, you know, you, you don't get to hear that stuff from people. Um, the, the biggest, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of Project Aristotle, a uh, study done a little while ago, a lot of the big tech firms, mm-hmm. the biggest single uh, predictor of their success of high-performing teams came down to psychological safety. And, and all I mean by that is um, people felt safe to speak up, to share ideas, to share errors. And where you have high psychological safety, people just report everything. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what safety needs, right? Um, no big stick required. They've just created the, the sort of climate where people can just do that. They feel comfortable to do that. And that's dragging safety along. You can even drop that word, man. You, you just need people to be able to speak up. Yeah, and it, because safety then just seems like it, it's, un, it's unnecessary, right? The, the word seems unnecessary at that point. Uh, because when you create those environments in which people can speak up, in which they can say things, they can throw ideas out there. It seems like you're going to drive all kinds of great stuff, uh, yeah. safety, innovation, creativity. It seems like people are going to have the ability to go out and actually maybe try things or get creative and because there, there's not as much of a fear of failure, it seems like, at that point. And it doesn't seem like there would be as much, obviously, as much fear from, from the, uh, the stick or, or maybe not meeting a magic metric or meeting sure. something that's, that's pushed down through the organization. And look, I think HOP and Safety 1 and Safety uh, sorry, Safety 2, Safety Differently can play a big part in that because they're essentially based on that. They're essentially based on bringing in the teams to hear their ideas, to hear, yeah. hear their thoughts. Um, the trouble is uh, with the new view, if you like, if there's no new do, well, the new view is not going to count for very much. People need to be able to do it. Um, and and so that's one of my, my bugbears at the moment. We have to get better. If we want people to sort of move past the old behaviourist stick and carrot model, we have to make it doable. We have to kind of... Now, I know that um, there's an issue with this, in a sense. Um, Sydney Decker, a wonderful Sydney who you had on recently, he says, well, safety differently is not prescriptive. You know, there there is no recipe to follow. And I get, you know, what he means by that um, because it's about bringing our teams in. This leader will get different outputs with his team to this leader with, with his or her team. But nevertheless, you know, once leaders out there hear, oh, behaviourism is sort of quick and easy, this new view stuff, 
there's no recipe, man. You just got to make shit up. Yeah. You got to put yeah, it, 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 it seems like, it seems like in those organizations, uh, I, I grew up in and around that. Uh, and, and I grew up in that era where, where people were really selling consultants were really selling these behavior-based safety systems. Um, I worked for several large contractors early, early on in my career where that was thought to be just the, the, the bee's knees, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We've got a handy dandy card and we've even put it on Scantron and you can scan it. high tech stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're going, Oh man, this is crap. Why are we doing this? <laughs> but, yeah. but it's, it's that, right? It seems like they go that route because it, it's, even organizations that have, have thought of themselves as almost forward thinking, as they'll tend to put it, um, where they're a little more advanced in maybe HPI or human performance improvement, where they at least implemented maybe some some awareness tools. They've started doing some different things like that. And then they try to couple that with almost this behaviorism. And then they couple that with the observation card itself and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But only thing that it seems to do to me is, is that it just all becomes weaponized. Yeah. Right. It seems like it all just becomes weaponized back to the individual because I've, I've had this exact conversation uh, with leaders um, and I'll pick on human performance tools, uh, right, where there's been something bad happen. And so well, if you would have just used that tool better and yeah. this wouldn't have happened, if you would have just stopped and thought a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> then this would have never happened. Or if you would have just just done that check sheet a little bit better, <laughs> this would have never happened. And yeah it seems so clear and easy to those folks, right? I, th- I think that's what makes it so seductive is that it seems like the easy, it is the easy answer. It just doesn't seem it's to tell a, It's an much. easy fallback, right? Um, and to be fair, it, it's what they know. It's the cliche. If the only tool you've got is a hammer, well, every problem looks like a nail, right? Just, right, just right, hit the damn right, thing. Right, right. Um, to, to be fair, we've got to give new tools mm-hmm. to people if they're going to move away from that. And, and again, while Sydney, uh, or Sydney Decker says there's no um, recipe, there's, there's um, in fact, he goes on to say, say that if we start looking at a recipe um, to do this, that to do the new view, that also almost signifies a regression back to safety one. And yet, I get why he says all that, and yet um, he also offers a very, very prescriptive approach, in fact, a checklist mm-hmm. to yep. um, sort of dealing with uh, after an incident. Right, you know? with just um, culture, yeah. The, the just culture, there's a, literally a checklist for that. Yeah. And so that seeming contradiction, I think, comes about because overall, yeah, the new approach, it's about you working with your crews to get an approach. So it's mm-hmm. different here. To, it's not one size fits all. But nevertheless, and this is the message I'd, I'd want to give the hot nerds and, and people who are looking to try, there are many components that fall under this um, new view banner, whether it's mm-hmm. hop or safety, different or safety too, that have already been applied by the pioneers. You, you had um, Steve and Tony on from uh, Queensland Urban Utilities, um, they actually, I, I believe, they outlined some really great approaches that are common. Yeah. Um, Simon Bowne um, from London Luton Airport, he published a piece on the Safety Differently website, literally his journey from Safety 1 to Safety 2, blow by blow, how it actually looked. Um, there are certain factors like uh, an analysis of work, um, as imagined versus work has, uh, has done, decluttering, um, Changing language, the, the guys from Urban Utilities made a big point about that. So did yes. Simon Bound. That is moving from language like the, the old parent-child stuff, um, safety audits, safety officers, um, incident investigations. And, again, I've said it many times, who doesn't love being investigated by an officer? Right. You know? Right. Uh, we love that stuff. That just, that just uh, screams trust, right? <laughs> screams trust. Whereas the new view, people, literally one of the first things the guy at Urban Utilities did was change that to learning events, coaches and so forth. That starts, just starts to tweak that trust dial a little bit. I was um, interested to hear those guys too who've been doing great work at Urban Utilities, but they said they're two years into it and it's, it's, um, I forget if it was Steve or Tony, one of them said it's only the last few months that the guys trust them enough to really get behind it. And this is my, uh, my challenge is that we often look at the new view to to instill this in an organization without doing the the fundamental stuff first and they could have saved themselves some time i believe if they actually focused first on building trust building that psychological safety right there's there's so much there and and that's where i continue to kind of fall back on and even in conversations that i have with folks 
uh, I continue to fall back because people, people always ask that, okay, what do I need to change right now? What should I add? What should I do? What, you know, what should I do differently? Uh, and, and that's really the, 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 the piece that we all desire. We want to know kind of the, ta- the, the really tactical steps that we should take uh, to kind of roll this stuff out. Right. And I hate even using those words because it, it, it almost yeah. makes it sound as if it were a program and that's, that's yeah, the cookie scary, cutter stuff. Yeah. Right. That's the scary part. Um, but I always end up back in this conversation around assumptions, right? Around organizational assumptions, uh, and in around the, the assumptions that we form around human beings and, and all these all these different things. Uh, and how much of that plays into that in, into that manifesting in an organization? Uh, because I, I'm a I'm a I'm a little bit of an Edgar Schein fan, right? I, I, I really get into the 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 underlying assumption piece. Uh, I think is very important into being the focus when we start, and and that's really. Uh, not to dive too much into into some of my story, but that's really where we started with my nine to five uh, was targeting the assumptions first, because yeah. a lot of times organizations want kind of the toolkit and they want to throw out the toolkit, but they don't want to put in the kind of the, the legwork beforehand that makes the tools yeah. work. Assumptions play a huge role. Uh, assumptions being pretty fixed ways of thinking mm-hmm. and they work top down and bottom up. So again, the, and this highlights the whole, fundamental difference between safety one and safety two, if you like, in that an assumption, still widely common, uh, safety one assumption of management is that people are the problem. Now, if you're operating from that fundamental assumption, then behaviour-based safety fits right in. Golden rules fit right in. Um, Punishment for violations fit right in. And so that basic assumption of people and their behaviours are the problem then generates and leads to all that safety one stuff. Mm. Now, conversely, uh, a fundamental assumption differently, or two, safety two, is that people are actually the solution. Now, with that fundamental assumption, everything looks different. If people are the solution, we're going to be really curious. We're going to ask Mm. them questions. We're going to bring them in to see how they actually do the job. And so, you know, those assumptions are huge. From a bottom-up perspective, if you've got a workforce who are used to a couple of decades of behaviourism, their assumptions are that management don't really care, uh, that if you do speak up, you're likely to have a target on your back mm-hmm. and so forth. And so imagine yeah. that. You've got assumptions from up here, assumptions from who's going who's gonna to speak up. Right, right. You just and didn't so have the complete shifting, culture of silence, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, and if you can shift that basic assumption, and, and this is, this is a, a leap of faith, if you will, too, for leaders. It's not that easy to, to shift from your historic view of people of the problem to this new view of, hang on, but maybe, just maybe they're the solution. Yeah. There's a leap of trust. There's a leap of faith in that too, in that if I now suddenly change and believe my people um, are the solution, and as you said before, Sam, that means putting my stick down, right? Well, what if it all turns to crap? What if they... Yeah. And so, you know, to be fair, yeah. there's a leap of faith involved for our leaders. We have got to yeah. give them the tools to be able to do that well yeah. and to back them in that. Yeah. And so often, cause I, that, that's a conversation that comes up all the time. Um, you know, we, with leaders in particular hire, and it seems as you go through the organization, um, we end up in these conversations that are what they should have paid more attention. They should have seen that if it were me, I would have seen that. And obviously we, we're, yeah. we're, you know, it's, it's easy after the fact to look down on an event with hindsight and known outcome and all these different things and lay out this coulda, shoulda, woulda yeah. type of, uh, you know, type all of incidents argument. are preventable, right? In, yeah, in hindsight, totally preventable. See, I can see exactly how this, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly how this played out, exactly how this happened. Yeah. Um, but as a leader, they, they, they're quick to reach for that stick because it seems like it's easy to label that person, especially and we, we tend to label stupid and we can't, fix stupid right as the saying goes so but we can beat stupid right we can definitely beat <laughs> stupid <laughs> and we can yeah. feel good about it because we punished a wrongdoer you know we, we found where they made where they messed up we found where a rule wasn't followed and we punished yeah. a wrongdoer and it feels really good uh and, and we can we can tell everyone else to try a little bit harder and we can just move on with our lives as an organization um but what happens so often uh you know when you have that conversation with those leaders, like you realize what you're really saying to the workforce is that bad things happen to bad people, that good people right. don't, that don't, good people don't get hurt, that, that good people don't die at work. Yeah. And you kind of, you know, that kind of blows their mind and they'll argue for a second until they really think about it. And it yeah. really hits them that that's really what we're saying, isn't it? That's, that's, that's it. It's not often put that clearly, but that's the underlying message. And it's like, um, you know, we need to normalize mistakes. We need to, 
everybody makes them. Right. Um, imagine this, Sam, if I can just digress for a moment. For I sure. wrote a piece about this recently. Imagine moving from zero harm, all right, which we only do in safety, by the way. We don't do it anywhere else. Let's bring that into the office block. And what we've right. got now is, is zero mistakes, Yep. Right. Zero mistakes. We've 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 just rolled out a zero mistakes program. We've got posters on the wall in the bathroom and everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, you know we go along with that. And then uh, obviously somebody eventually makes an error mm-hmm. because we've rolled all this stuff out and we're still parent and child. What we will do now is a massive investigation um, on why somebody put decaf in the caffeinated coffee okay. part of the coffee machine. So we're going to have a big investigation. Um, we're going to sort of put lots of posters and policies and procedures around actually refilling the coffee machine properly. This is what I call dumbed-down safety, right? right. Play to the right. lowest common denominator. Signs ever policies. Have you read the new coffee machine? You cannot operate that coffee machine until you have done that. Right. So this huge carry-on, and then all you know, there's somebody over here in the office. He's aware of all this fuss and bother. He makes an error too, mm-hmm. not a big one, but he's made an error. The thing is, though, nobody saw him do it. Right. And he could rectify it quite quickly himself. Now, seeing all that fuss and bother, he's, who's going to stick right. their hand up and say, look, there's an error we can learn from that? Um, and so unbeknownst to the organisation, there's all these errors that have been happening. They haven't heard about any of them. And so what they do, they believe they're like 90 days um, mistake-free. So they have a big barbecue. They give people trinkets, caps. Big celebration for 90 days um, mistake-free and everybody's standing there going, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, nobody made a mistake. Yeah, right. I mean, it sounds insane, absolutely insane. Nobody would do that, but we do that in safety. Right. Yeah, every every single day, every single day we do that, right? We we have we have the banners, we have the nice fancy digital clocks on the wall that count down since the last time someone messed up, right? And we're going and and like you said, I think it's one of the best conversations I, I I'd ever had uh, was with an iron worker on a site on a, at a power plant. And yeah. it was it was right after right after this organization had really pushed out this zero thing. And I mean, it was it was the safety. It, it was the full safety gamut. It was banners. It was flyers. It was T-shirts. It was gloves that said zero. It was everything. It was the clocks. I mean, you name it. Right. Close your eyes and imagine all the horrible stuff you could do to a location. And they yeah. pretty much did it. Right. But he, he came in and he talked to me. He said, I don't know what what this crap is. And, you know, real rough, gruff iron worker. And uh, he didn't say crap, but uh, <laughs> he said, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what this shit is. You're giving me the zero thing. If you all want zero, we'll give you zero. It's not going to be real, yeah. but we'll give you zero, right? Yeah. And that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what, what plays out. Uh, you have the, the leaders in the organization kind of doing one of these like pats on the back thing and everyone else is going, that is totally not real. I almost died yeah. yesterday and we're sitting here talking about how great we are. <laughs> well, my companies often end up with zero one way or the other. If they don't end mm-hmm. up with zero harm, uh, actually, even if they say they have zero harm, it's usually more accurate to suggest what they've actually got is zero reporting. Right. Um, right. You know, this is a bit of a bugbear with me because most of our clients, um, not just in Australia but globally, are mm-hmm. in those high hazards of mining, oil and gas construction. Almost all of them have this zero vision, zero incidents. I was chatting with a company the other day. They've actually gone beyond that. They actually have a slogan called Beyond Zero. Uh, yep. What are you going to do, reincarnate people now? I mean, it's, it's, what? it's just a, <laughs> Well, exactly right. God, wouldn't it be insane if we could? That would be again back back to life being good. This is where it's a little toxic, though, right? Yeah, uh, I put a post up the other day on LinkedIn. If there was, this is all I ask of those companies. If there was research that demonstrated that having a zero goal actually made your people less safe, that having a zero goal actually meant a, a higher um, likelihood of a fatality. Would you stick to that goal? Right. And some people uh, actually say yes, they would. When, and that's that's a that's a little loaded too, because it's some of the research. Most of the research seems to suggest that, right? Well, yeah. Um, there, there is. Let me be black and white about this. As psychologists, we are research-based animals. Thanks mm-hmm. to many of my comrades up uh, up the road in Brisbane, there, uh, <laughs> who do a lot of the, the research out of Griffith Uni. Yep. Um, there is no research. I'm not talking about a little bit. There is no research showing that zero harm as a separate unique variable does any good in safety at all. 
And there is research and quite a good robust study demonstrating that a goal of zero um, appears to lead to increased likelihood of a severe incident and or a fatality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your good friends, I think, um, Drew Ray and, and David Proven, who, who do marvellous work in the research space, they did a brilliant yes. podcast on this. Yes. And they, they literally took all of the available research yeah. and the conclusion they reached, and they're very, very... Um, they're a lot more understated than I am. <laughs> but what they said was, if you don't currently have a goal of zero, don't have one. Right. What they did say, look, if you do have one, at least try and make it clear to the workforce that you're not literally talking about the number. It, that goal is in place to direct attention towards risk yeah. and safety, which I think was very fair of them. Right. And I've, I've seen organizations kind of change a little, and it's, it's not really that subtle, but it, it is a change, a massive change um, that where they've said, okay, we've went with the zero saying that everything is preventable and they've really gotten rid of that, that really that sacred cow in their organization. They said, okay, we get that everything's not preventable. We understand that. Yeah. And they've shifted that goal of saying, we want zero injuries to saying, we want to, we, we don't want to kill people. And that seems like a pretty good a pretty good shift, right? Yeah, neither do I. Right? From killing zero people is a really good goal yeah. versus saying we want zero anything. That seems like a terrible a terrible goal to throw out there. Yeah, and often that is the uh, the rationale the zealots the zero harm zealots give. Um, it's you know if you stay zero actually is ineffective. It's actually more likely to promote right. incidents. They say, oh well, if you get rid of zero, you know, if you're not a, a fan of zero harm. That just means you're willing to hurt people, which is absolute nonsense. <laughs> quite the opposite, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite the opposite. All right. we're saying to you is the research is strongly suggesting mm -hmm. just the fact that you've got that goal makes it more likely you'll get fatalities. Right. And this is often how it works for me as a psychologist, where we have that. And don't get me wrong, I believe it's well-intended. I, I don't believe Absolutely, leaders yeah. are morons. Yeah. People like Dr. Rob Long out there actually suggest they're evil in having the goal. I don't think that at all. Right. Um, I look for a positive intent. You know, the reason they've got that in place is because they want to take safety seriously and, and they're saying no harm is access, uh, you know, acceptable to us. I get that. Um, the thing is, though, some companies become very overzealous about that zero thing mm -hmm. and maybe we've gone 30 days with that incident. Now, because we're overzealous, we become literally intolerant of incidents. Right. And we're going to have them. Now, if we become intolerant, all of a sudden we're back to what we were discussing before. We close in, we, we smash people, we, we give negative consequences. And all that then does is drive reporting underground. Now, if you drive reporting underground, you're not going to learn from your mistakes. Well, and I think and it's really interesting because the the golden rule example that we shared, I've, I've shared this on other podcasts, it's, it comes up quite a bit because a lot of organizations still go down this golden rule path yeah. and we have certain rules that are so important to us that we're, we're willing to 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 fire you to part with yeah. you if you if you yeah. violate any of these uh they call them life-saving rules which is just a yeah, yeah. term like like rules save lives yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other argument yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, but you know what ends up happening is exactly the same right we we usually yes. take a list of five or ten um, 10 is, seems to be the magic number usually, uh, but ten, these 10 things that we know kill people frequently in these organizations. And it's usually those things like lockout, tag out. It's usually those things like confined spaces. It's all those, those really bad things that, that harm and maim people. And then we do exactly the opposite of what we've been talking about, right? We create a culture of silence around them. And it seems like those are the areas where you would want even more psychological safety, even more ability to speak up and say, hey, I almost died. But yeah. we kind of go the opposite direction. We, we? we do. Again, because it's quick and easy yeah. uh, with, with the golden rules. And again, just about all of our clients have those. And again, well-intended. Right. Well exactly. yes, exactly. Just because things are well-intended doesn't mean they work um, mm -hmm. to the end user. Uh, if, mate, if there was to be a golden rule, it would be, uh, I would say um, stop creating fear. Uh, maybe right, if that was right. a golden rule, but of course that, that would backfire anyway. Have I got time for a short story on golden rule? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. True story. Uh, this was at a mine site, of course, in Australia. We've got many Bowen, the Bowen Basin, lots of coal mines very close together. Mm -hmm. Many of the same company uh, have two or three mines in a particular area. So um, at one of these coal mines, um, a neighbouring mine, same company, their drag line was out of operation. 
and they needed an engineer from a, a neighbouring mine to go over there to help get it up and running because it's co costing them millions having this drag line down. So anyway, the, this, this had a bit of time pressure to it. They needed to get happening pretty quickly. Engineer drives over to the neighbouring mine, pulls up in the car park of the mine, um, nose in, pulled his um, vehicle in, nose in. There's a couple of guys, safety guys actually, um, standing at the front, they notice that this guy come in nose first and they, they stop him and they say, look, mate, we've got a golden rule, uh, well, not a golden rule, but one of our rules here is that you must reverse park. All right? And the guy says, well, sorry, I was in a bit of a rush. Anyway, he gets in his car and he, he backs out. He hasn't got his seatbelt on, right? He backs out to turn around and reverse in, backs in, gets out of, mate, you just drove without a seatbelt. That is a golden rule. He was fired. He was fired. What does firing this, this engineer, who management have put time pressure on to get there quickly, to get it sorted out, how does firing him help anybody? Yeah. It's just insane. Well, and it's, that, that's, that's one of the biggest beefs with, with the golden rules, right, is, that I personally have is that the complete lack of context, right, to say, no, everything is black and white, nothing. Is black and white, right? Nothing is black. That, that, that's, that story is such a perfect example of that, right? And what, what uh, and again, not to, not to get too down in the weeds, but what, what risk was the employee really at, right? And forgetting that seatbelt for a split second, right? And yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. But we see those, and I've, I've heard those stories time and time and time again. And somehow we, as organizations, we, we somehow convince ourselves that that's good. That that yeah. stuff is good. And we find ourselves in these situations where when we finally decide to change, when we finally see the need for growth and to move into doing safety, let's just say better, right? <laughs> doing, doing safety yeah. a little better. Yeah. Those stories come back to haunt us, it seems like, when we when we actually start to change. And uh, we, we have those skeletons in our closets. We have those, uh, we've, in my day job, we've, lab we've labeled it organizational folklore uh, because we end up in these situations where there's, there's some true events there. And then through the years, we kind of add to and build up and it makes it even worse than that. Yeah. You know, that particular example, uh, would the employee would have then been like tarred and feathered afterwards, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's, they stick around, don't they? They do. And again, if, if those golden rules by their essence, by definition, golden rules are inflexible. Mm -hmm. So no matter how um, good the person has been historically, no matter what the context, the golden rule says, if you break that, you are fired. Right. And no good can come from that. As right. you said, it lacks context. It lacks um, the fact that the reason he was rushing in the first place is not through, you know, any um, intrinsic driving himself to be a bad person. Management actually wanted him over there really quick. He was actually trying to help. Well, we 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 try to imply this this choice on the individual, right? And there's probably not that much choice in the matter, is there? And I think that's that's what we see. It may, uh, you know, most organizations come back to that easy answer: well, the employee chose, and we stop there, right? We say, well, the employee chose to not wear that seatbelt, and in that situation, it's just way it's so much more complex than that. I guess is it is. And it's not just that one guy, Sam, losing his job. Mm -hmm. The impact becomes much more far-reaching than that. Right. That damages the culture. Right. It reduces trust. It reduces psychological safety. It entrenches the us and them mentality and the parent child that one action to sack that one guy has wrecked the culture and i'm, I'm pretty sure the culture yeah. wouldn't have been that great in the first place anyway uh, at such a company forget installing the new view all right they're simply not ready for it and, and i guess this is my point um huge advocate for the new view it actually drags kicking and screaming the behaviorists and traditional safety into the 21st century don't try and do that until you have at least created the foundations by dealing with this stuff yeah. and actually creating yes. psychological safety and trust. Otherwise, if you do that, you, you kind of get one shot. I'm sure you've exactly. noticed this. Exactly. You get yeah. one shot at a new intervention. And if you stuff it up, it's going to be years before you can try it again. So to say you've, 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 got, a, you've got an entire generation that will have to retire before you can... <laughs> before you could try it again and that's yeah. that's I, I hate to keep circling back to to some of my uh some of my day job over the past several years few years but it, that was that's so much of the conversation is exactly what what you're laying out here is that listen yeah. if you mess this up 
you're yeah. not going to get another chance. Nope. <laughs> and you're, you're going to, you know, when you're ready and you start down that path, you're going to have hiccups, right? You're going to, yeah. you're going to have a leader that has a poor reaction. You're going to have some of these things that happen, yeah. but it, it, it just, it can't be your normal, right? It can't, your, your assumptions yeah. have to change all, all that groundwork, as you put it, it really has to be Bang on, ready, ready to go uh, before you start down that path. Because I totally agree. You have, uh, at least generationally, <laughs> you, you have you have one shot at getting yeah. this this stuff started. Um, yeah. So much of of what we've talked about is coming back to creating environments in which honesty is possible. Yeah. Right. So what would what would you what would you lay out to the folks out there? What what are some um, what are some things that they can focus on? Yeah. In trying to create environments in which that's that's a, that's an option at least. Sure. I, and look, Sam, like many, I've learned this the hard way, right? We, yep. You know, we'd often go in with an intervention. Um, unless you have first the trust of the workforce, nothing you do is really going to gain traction. Exactly. Yeah. And again, harping back to a couple of your, your recent podcasts, you asked Sydney Decker, you know, you do the final thought thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was the it's final come, It's thought? coming your way too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'll have to think of something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Sydney was, was really interesting uh, in that he, you guys had a fabulous discussion. I recommend everybody listen to that one if you haven't done already. But when you asked Sydney that question, he paused slightly and then he said, we've just got to trust each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you had the guys in from urban uh, Queensland Urban Utilities who said two years into this, this um, again, I hate to use the word, but rollout, yeah. They're only sort of making great progress in the last couple of months because now the guys are getting trust. And that's my point. <laughs> Get that first. Right. And then everything you do, um, you've got that to hang it on. I actually believe safety differently, hop, um, safety too. That stuff is is tailor-made. It just hangs off trust so beautifully and, and can only further entrench and embed it. Because it's all about the people and getting them involved, hearing from them. But to actually get it going in the first place, we've got to, as you said, first and foremost, leadership have got to agree that philosophically um, make a different assumption. Yeah. And that is that people are not, our people are not our problem. Um, our people are our solution. You've got to start with that. That's and that's that's a tough one for um, I don't I don't mean to pick on any companies out there, but that's a tough one for them to kind of stomach because I when when I had that conversation, those folks uh, as they, I'm sure they reach out to you, they reach out to me, they reach out to tons of folks asking how do we actually do this stuff, and I always have to share with them, uh, tell them no, no matter what we want to call it, say it differently, hop, you can't really go down that path unless you're willing to continue to move the needle on moving from from really retribution to more of a restorative approach. Yeah. Uh, as, as we were kind of talking, I think before we even kind of went live, <laughs> we were yeah. kind of talking a little bit about that. Um, but yeah. you have to be willing to go in that direction. And that seems to be the one that people are, or organizations are afraid of though, isn't it? Yeah. They're, they're, and I even see more, more frequently now, um, I don't want to call them snake oil salesmen, but they kind of are uh, kind of these, these, um, these consultants that are now going out and kind of selling different models of retribution organizations again, kind of making <laughs> trying to paint things linear to say, well, yeah. here's how you can determine if it was an at will violation or if it was not at will, or if it was, uh, if it was an, an error or an if error. it was a mistake or if it was, we have this, we have these 20 different terms with definitions now. Yeah. And it's this nice, easy kind of flow chart. And if the, if they did this, then they get this size of stick. And if they did yeah. that, then they get this size of stick. Uh, what would you have to say to, to organizations out there that are thinking about going down that path? Be very, very careful. I love Decker's, um, even though it's a checklist. And mm-hmm. On yeah. the one hand, Decker's against checklist. <laughs> I recommend the restorative justice. Uh, model. One of the places an organisation, even if they've built a little bit of trust in the meantime, when, and it's, it's a when, let's face it, when they have an incident, how they respond to that incident can have far-reaching consequences. Now, in yes. the, just uh, the Bowen Basin of Queensland alone, the mo- big mining area in Queensland, they've had like six fatalities over the last 18 months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's been fatalities. I reckon they get the same lawyer involved because their press release always starts with safety is our highest priority. Why do they need to say that? It comes across as tricky. It comes along as political and defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, again, what Decker gets at is that's not where your emphasis needs to be right now. The first thing you need to be doing is have we attended to the care for those first and secondary victims. Yeah. 
Yes. That's where the empathy care. Now, when we do that, we can maintain, even though we've had an incident, maybe even a fatality, we can still maintain some trust. As soon as we get all political and defensive, you lose trust immediately. So how a company, to me, responds after an incident tells me more about their culture than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And that seems to be where you can really start to get some traction, isn't it? If you can get leaders to start showing up differently after an event occurs, especially. That seems Absolutely. like that seems like a magic area, uh, and I've even seen that. Again, I don't I don't like to get very prescriptive either, but there's I found with a lot of those leaders, you really they're they're looking at you going, okay, tell me what you want me to do different. Yeah, and that's one place where I'm very comfortable saying, okay, listen, here's some better questions <laughs> that yeah. you can ask post event. Here's a better way to react. How about yeah. you instead of saying, you know, here we we focus heavily on what is OSHA recordable, right? Yeah. Uh, instead of saying, is this OSHA recordable? How about you genuinely care about the employee? Because I know that you do. You yeah. need to get the other stuff out of your head and just focus on the people. Respond yeah. to the people, and let's worry not let's not worry about that stuff. And if we need no. to, we can worry about that stuff way later and behind the curtain. If you want to worry about it, yeah. yeah. And I'd say to those same companies, Sam, do yourself a favor. Forget all those consultants who are talking about was it a violation or not. Mm-hmm. Just go to Sidney Decker's website, download his checklist, and follow yeah. that. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> that will yes. serve you very, very well. There's yes. a couple of other areas, Sam, that I write about in the book in terms of what the companies that have created um, psychological safety do. In the safety space, particularly, as we mentioned before, just changing your language, getting rid of any parent-child language, move from audits or, you know, safety investigations to learning events, Uh, move from safety officers to coaches. You know, just changing your language can have a big impact on itself. I I think you're hitting something that's so important because we we like to pretend that the words that we use do not matter. But they oh. matter a lot, don't they? And I, again, important. just 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 from from my experiences with that, and, and so much of changing that changing the conversation starts with changing the words that we yeah. use, right? And again, I'll, I'll pick on OSHA record. Well, it, it had gotten to the point uh, in in my job that. We, we set people down and basically gave them a list of words that you will not use, right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. of that, right? It's it's yeah. avoid the you-based messages, avoid saying saying this, avoid saying that. But it really does start there because people feel yeah. those messages and they'll feel they'll they feel how pointed they are when we yeah. send out those messages that feel really good as an organization to say you should try more, you should try harder. That feels good when we say that. But yeah. the people on the other end just go, oh, more of that, more of that yeah. crap. Or they say, you want me to care more? I already care a lot. It's just going to make yeah. me care less if you ask me to care more. That's right. Right? And it's it's so important. So I, I, did, I had to jump in and say that it's just so important to focus on using it is, mate. better words. And when you're consciously choosing your words, you become more conscious about the questions that you ask. And questions right. are key here too. Uh, leaders' questions steer the attention of the workforce. So there's Doggy. <laughs> she's, she's chewing on me again so everybody can see. She's For those that are so tuning in on the podcast, I'm getting attacked by a very small dog right now. <laughs> Do you feel really unsafe there, Sam? Right, right. I should be wearing gloves. I'm violating the golden rule. <laughs> you're fired. Yeah. Um, so look, questions come from language and often our, our questions come out subconsciously and do so much damage easy questions that come out straight from our uh, unconscious who's to blame right you know what were you doing it like that for inherent in the questions people's attention yeah. is steered to fear yes. as opposed to just a little bit more consciously coming all right what are we, what are we learning from that yeah, so what will we do differently next time how and and obviously that's that's clearly a bias that we have right that we that we we want to snap to blame i mean that's human right that's human to want to blame yeah. um how much of that is just realizing that that we have that desire within us to want to blame other to blame people when things happen or to to assign some 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 intent to people when bad things happen yeah well it is literally a bias in our thinking mm-hmm. Uh, we are much more, if we see a negative event, we are much more, uh, unconsciously, we're much more likely to ascribe blame to those people. Uh, whereas if we actually um, did that very same thing, we'd be right. looking for other reasons that got in the way, uh, or that caused me to do that. That's a natural bias within human beings, and there's right. many of those cognitive biases that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's just our vocabulary. Um, I, I do this little experiment when I've got leaders in front of me. I ask them to come up with what I call a below-the-line question. You know, and just imagine something's gone wrong. Come up with a question like, who's to blame? Why did this go wrong? Uh, right. Whose fault is this? They come out naturally. 
They now ask them to reverse that and come up with what we'd call an internally like a sort of an above-the-line question, Mm -hmm. and the room goes quiet. Now, why is that harder? Because you have to consciously come up with them in the moment, and that takes cognitive effort. And our brains don't like that. They would much sooner go the quick and easy route. So, you know, again, it takes work. Um, If this was easy, um, you know, everybody would be doing it already. Um, It does take effort. Yeah, I find, I find that so interesting because we do, I mean, I have those conversations with leaders all the time uh, where you have to, you know, when we start down this path, it's really easy to say, well, you know, blame, we're not going to blame, but we still have that natural instinct to blame and just letting yeah. them know that, you know, it's, I get it. When, when I see, I can, I scroll through LinkedIn, I see stuff and, and my, my first, my first instinct will be stupid. Right. And then you have to stop for a second and go, no, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that made complete sense to that person yeah. when they were doing that because LinkedIn is, is like this sea of, of bad safety pictures, right? When people, people get a kick out. Of yeah. I wish people would can stop you believe with that. This person? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, well, I, I would at least wish that if they did, that they would try to actually glean some learning from it rather than just yeah. calling the people dumb. That's right. <laughs> Why did that make sense at the time? Right. You know? well, um, it, th- that really takes practice, right? To to try yeah. to to try to tune yourself into that, and and that's the way that I always like to share it is that um, I, I had the the opportunity. I had to say opportunity, but I, I had the opportunity to be on an uh, an event of an investigation. Uh, this company unfortunately uses the term mm-hmm. investigation not that long ago, um, where it would have been very easy to look, and it was, it was a pretty significant event. It had been very easy to look at this and say, well, that person should have made better choices. That person could have made better choices. Uh, but I had the opportunity to, to kind of put the bug in everyone's ear before we even started. It's yeah. just that. It's, it's, it's that, that, that phrase is that it made complete and total sense until it suddenly didn't. Yeah. Right? To, to that person, a B, did not, a, B, and C did not equal me getting catastrophically injured because if sure. I could have seen that that was going to be what happened, I would have totally not done A, B, and C, yeah. right? Actually <laughs> wanted to get hurt. Right, right. But the, the way that we have kind of normally approached that stuff uh, is we've kind, of, we've kind of stuck with that. We've kind of went with, no, they should have seen step B because if it yeah. were me, and it's, ba- it's back to the bias piece, right? I mean, we- It's back to the bias. It's back to the quick and easy. It's back to what we know. And again, if we're going to help people shift from that, we've got to recognize that that's why they're still there. Yeah. And, you know, I like to bring it back to myself in terms of responsibility. If, if a company I'm working with is not moving, that's partly my issue. I have not made it accessible enough. I have uh, not showed them that, um, number one, the case for change is very strong, and number two, change can happen. Um, and so we, just before I go totally away from what we were talking about before, creating no, trust, okay. something any company can do is this notion of bringing our people in. Now, some people call that having a champions group or a brains trust, and um, Amy Edmondson talks a lot about it in her book, and that is companies like Pixar and so forth, they have literally a group of people that they bring in and what they ask from them is total candor. What do you think about this? What do you think? Now, of course, it's one thing to do that, but what leaders can never then do is respond defensiveness with defensiveness or put-downs. They just need to listen. Once this group of employees come in, realise they can say anything at all Mm -hmm. with no negative... Of course, they're also said no personal attacks, you know, we tell them that, but just tell us how it is. Once they've done that with no fear of negative consequences and that then the company actually listens to them and does things differently, that becomes self-sustaining. And the more that happens, when it's embedded within the company rather than a one-off, trust starts to shift and then... And that's when your safety two and safety differently come in, right? That's when we can do the um, uh, work as imagined versus work as done concept. Because if you try to do that very worthy um, activity with a group that have got no trust, they'll just, when they when you examine, they'll just do work as they believe it should be done according yeah. to the procedure. You're going to learn nothing from that. They have to have trust yeah. enough to say, right, well, look, how we actually do it is yeah. a bit different. Now you can learn, but you will not be able to get that learning until you've brought them in and created that trust. Yeah, and it's so much of that too. I, I love that because that's that's so important, um, especially getting down into how work actually occurs. Because, um, like I said, you, we we touched on several things there. But get, getting into where to where work actually occurs because there's learning, right? We can actually learn, and that's really the only 
that's really the only magic dust that we have in this whole game is learning and anything that gets in the way of us getting to that learning seems like it would be bad for us. Right. Sure. So even if that's the need to beat people, if that's a need for the carrot, yeah. if that's a need for any of that stuff, if it gets in the way of people being able to be honest and for us to learn from that, it seems like it would in, just be harming us. Right. It would be harming us in their organizations yep. ultimately. But I, I think that's, go ahead. Uh, to me, one of the things leaders need to remember the most about any communication they make, verbal, email, whatever it is, am, uh, you know, what, I'm, what I'm about to say, is that more likely to create trust or fear? And if it's more likely to create fear, don't say it. <laughs> It's it's so it's so it's so interesting because uh, people ask me for those kind of pro tips like there's some magic list of pro tips that you can tell people to make things better. Yeah. But I always tell them I'm like, listen, if there's if there's a couple things that I can always that I always share with people is this is that number one, everyone's always watching you. It's creepy, but everyone's yeah. watching. They're always yeah. assessing you. They're always determining what they can and can't tell you. They're always they're always seeing how you respond to things, different bits of information. They're just they're just checking you out to see how you are. Uh, and then number two, it's it's so funny because it, it really echoes what you're saying is that it's, it's, it either your actions and I usually just use actions, but your communications, whatever it is, uh, or even inactions, your lack of communication, sometimes it's either helping or it's hurting. There's no in between, right? There's, there's no, there's no middle ground with that stuff. Uh, you're either, I, I love that you're either, you're either creating fear or you're, you're creating yeah. trust, right? There's, there's nothing in between. Not make a good choice around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me uh, let me change gears just a little bit. And uh, for those folks out there that want to uh, find you, that want to get a hold of you, you'd mentioned that you you work with companies. You have all kinds of stuff going on. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. How can people find you? How can people get a hold of you? Sure, a few ways. Um, if people, if your listeners, uh, Hop Nerds are on LinkedIn, which I'm sure they all are. Um, by all means, feel free to connect or send me a message. Um, yeah. Or you can go just straight to our website, Sam. Uh, which is uh, GIST Consulting. That's G-Y-S-T consulting.com.au. Um, and just, just contact us that way. It's probably the easiest way. That's awesome. Yeah. And you've, you've got some, uh, you've got some amazing articles out there too, that uh, I, I don't know how I didn't come across some of them sooner. Uh, I, I can't, I, forgive me, but I, I was, it was amazing, but I can't remember the exact title. It was something, stop treating your people like rats or something like that. Was That's that's what prompted me down your behavior based safety <laughs> That's the perfect title. I love it. So something about, obviously it was something about BBS and uh, yeah, you know, it was referring that your people are not rats. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was, it was excellent. It was absolutely excellent. Um, so there's that, that's what I would encourage folks to do is to go and find more and to, to connect with you and check you out. There's so, there's just such amazing stuff that you put out there. Thank um, you, Matt. There's one, a book coming out late stuff. September too. Which gotcha. talks well, about well, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. That would be amazing, and we'll we'll have to try to schedule to get you back on when that uh, sure. when that happens for sure. Um, so I told you it was coming. So yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's our it's our it's our famous it's our famous ending here. Uh, <laughs> any last words? Any any, yeah. any final thoughts for our hop nerds out there, or safety practitioners, or even the yeah, rogue okay. lead, the, the rogue leader or two that might tune in. All right, so what I'm going to do is um, just, just I'm, I'm going to make a book recommendation, and it's not mine. Um, please keep reading great safety books like yours that I can see sitting on the desk <laughs> there, Sam. Um, obviously, read your deckers and all that. Just uh, maybe the next book you read, I would suggest, move away from um, traditional safety reading. Read Amy Edmondson's The Fearless Organisation. It is not specifically about safety as we know safety, but if you want to understand the importance of creating trust and psychological safety and just the massive research base behind that, then our, our, honestly all safety leaders, in fact all leaders, should read that book. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favour. That would be my tip. Like I love it. And, and for those of you that are just listening, you can't see, but I'm sitting here writing down that book recommendation because I'm a nerd. I'm going to go pick it up. I'm going to read it. <laughs> You'll love it. Sounds, it sounds like, sounds like it'd be something right up my alley there. <laughs> it's kind of nerdy, but it's, it's very accessible um, and talks about a lot of the things we've already covered. I, I like, I like the nerdiness. I get picked on all the time because I, I even shared this with, uh, with Sydney that uh, my first, my first kind of thrust into actual reading about safety differently was safety differently and he's basically yeah. saying why did you start with that one that's the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i learned that about halfway through <laughs> <laughs> but that's excellent excellent yeah our folks out there love love reading recommendations so they will they will uh, absolutely get into that because and that's a different one that's that's neat that's yeah. neat 
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on and hang out with us. This has been absolutely amazing. Uh, it's a pleasure, Mike. And I'm sure that this, I mean, there's so much value, so much value that you've, you've shared with, with our audience. So thank you once again. Thank you so much. No worries. I mean, you keep dragging nice people into the 21st century, my friend. We're trying. Kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was a hell of a conversation, right? <laughs> I loved getting to chat with, with Clive. I mean, it was just amazing. This was one of those ones where I get to sit there and just absorb so much great stuff. Make sure that you go check out Clive and all, all of his stuff. It's just, just phenomenal, phenomenal. That's all I've got. Until next time, it is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.